Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. The bar exam. Law school grads must pass this grueling test to be certified to practice law in most states. But does it really measure competency? Is it a good indicator to law firms and others who will make a great attorney? Kathy on Twitter writes, let's be real. I don't think the bar exam has any relevancy to the practice of law. It's an endurance recall exercise that reflects one's ability to take a test over three days. Today, where we live, we talk about the bar exam. The pandemic means states like Connecticut have postponed the test and are making plans for it to be online. But that raises a whole host of other issues. Coming up, we hear from Judge Andrew Guinness, who's chair of the Connecticut Bar Examining Committee. And we'll hear from a recent law grad who's working with others to get the state to allow 2020 law school graduates diploma privilege. We'll learn more about what that means in just a few minutes. Now, are you preparing for the Connecticut Bar Exam? How will you be impacted now that the in-person exam has been moved online this fall? You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome the first guest to our show. Luann Cooley is a recent UConn Law School graduate. Luann, welcome to Where We Live. Good morning, Lucy. First off, congratulations on making it through law school. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, quite the journey. So what drew you to wanting to enter law school and become an attorney, Luann? Uh, well, first of all, I'm older than most law school uh, people. Um, usually people go to law school or often they do uh, immediately after finishing their undergraduate degree. But uh, I'm in my 50s and I decided to go back to law school uh, after being involved in public life and wanting to learn more, realizing uh, after the 2016 election, uh, how little I really knew about how the law worked and felt like if I wanted to be in a position to better serve those interests that I care about, um, I needed to learn more about the law. So tell us what it means to get through law school. How many years are you studying and what the time and, and money that you're spending uh, for your education, Luann? Well, uh, first of all, you know, I uh, have a master's degree. I went to an undergraduate university and I um, worked on a PhD for a while. So I've spent a lot of time in education and I've never had an experience like this. Uh, law school is unique, I think, in that it's really training you in a particular type of thought process. And I come from a science background where um, we learn a different kind of inquiry. And so for me, um, the challenge during the three years that I was in law school was not just learning about the rules and the standards um, and the, the actual law, but learning more about um, the theory and the philosophy and the um, interpretation of law and how to think about it in terms of um, it being more of an adversarial system. Uh, so for me, that was, that was quite a challenge. And I would say, like many law students, my first semester um, was quite the roller coaster. It was the thrilling and fascinating to be a part of this 
um, this law school and learning with all the other people. But it was terrifying to realize um, how much I didn't know. And in a way, you could sort of think about it as a boot camp where um, you kind of get destroyed and then rebuilt um, in a, a new way of thinking. So um, it, it was a real challenge. Uh, the amount of time it took to do the reading, to prepare for class um, was something I'd never experienced before. Uh, it, it was um, pretty all consuming. So it required quite a sacrifice from my family in particular. Um, I'm married, I have three children, uh, and I could no longer do a lot of the things that I used to do with them, um, spend the time with them. My husband really stepped up um, in terms of um, taking on a lot of household uh, chores that we had split pretty evenly. Um, so for me, it was a time commitment. It was a financial commitment. Um, it was quite the sacrifice for my family and, uh, and for me to give up uh, a lot of activities and things during that time, experiences that I would normally have with them. So Luann, were you in law school for three years? Yes. Yes. I was a full-time student. So um, I had the opportunity to, to go during the day and do it all in three years. Most, I would say a quarter of the students in our program are uh, evening students and they do law school. In addition to working full-time during the day, they go in the evening for four years. You're hearing Luann Cooley on Where We Live. She's a 2020 UConn Law School graduate. As we talk about uh, the Connecticut bar exam, again, it's been moved online because of the pandemic. We want to hear more from Luann on how she's preparing for the bar exam, but we also want to hear from you, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Luann, you graduate law school, but now you have to prepare for the bar. What does that mean, and how costly is that? Right. Well, in normal times, uh, people graduate from the from law school in May, and then they would spend the next two and a half months intensely studying for the bar exam. Uh, virtually everyone chooses to uh, participate in a uh, um, a paid bar prep program, <clears throat> and that can cost anywhere from um, uh, almost a thousand dollars to about three thousand dollars, depending on. Um, which program you decide to go with. Uh, I, I actually don't know anyone who hasn't uh, tried to engage some kind of bar prep program. It's almost um, just part of the, the cost of being in the program is that you realize that you're going to be spending those uh, eight to 10 weeks after graduation um, and that money to prepare for the exam. It's, it's really learning to take the test. It's, um, uh, lectures, you go over uh, um, subjects that you learned previously in law school. Um, you learn to memorize the facts about the law, um, how to apply the law, um, and you learn how to, how, how to take the test successfully. That's in normal times. Um, in COVID times, uh, we were fortunate that the uh, bar examining committee quickly realized that they needed to move the exam because of the fear of um, of the uh, pandemic. Uh, and so it sounds like that would be great. We have extra time to study. But what it really means is that uh, people who were intending to be done and starting jobs um, had to figure out a way that they could uh, both work, both study, um, since it was going to take longer to actually go through the application, uh, bar application process, they had to figure out uh, how they were going to pay their bills, how they were going to extend um, payment on, on their debts and loans, um, where they were going to live during this process. Uh, some people were planning on moving 
to where their new jobs were going to be. That's been delayed. Um, so for me personally, it means that I was trying to study and help my children uh, with distance learning, um, trying to figure out how we were uh, managing our day-to-day -day existence, keeping ourselves safe, getting um, to the grocery store, doing appointments, um, uh, how I was going to uh, even just deal with um, technical things like all five of us in our house were all mm. trying to access the internet at the same time. My husband for his job, me for my job and for studying, and my three kids for their various um, school activities. So, you know, there were times when we had bandwidth issues and we mm -hmm. had to uh, uh, sort of schedule who was going to be on doing what, when, so that we could make it all work. So I would say that um, in addition to regular studying, I've had uh, just sort of these extra concerns and worries um, during this time. Uh, I myself actually had COVID symptoms um, and was tested. Oh. Uh, I was negative, luckily, but I did have to sequester myself for uh, five days. So that's relatives. a whole a whole nother level of stress, oh, yeah. Luann. <laughs> yeah, and I've had you know relatives and neighbors and friends that have been sick as well, and trying to help them and figure out um, how to um, support them through this process has been a challenge as well. So um, it's it's been the regular study, but then with all of these other things on top of it that no one could foresee. I wanted to bring another perspective into our conversation. Uh, Daniel Bird is also a 2020 Yukon Law graduate. Uh, Daniel, when you hear Luann talking about her experience, uh, again, trying to prepare for the Connecticut bar exam, is this something that a lot of uh, recent graduates are feeling now that this test has been moved online later this year? Absolutely. The bar exam prep for the, the prep for the bar exam is stressful enough, right? And now we're dealing with a global pandemic. We're dealing with um, jobs, offers that have been either rescinded or delayed. We're dealing with financial struggles because we all expected, as Luann said, to begin work in September. Um, and now the exam may not be until October. So that's been a struggle. And I think each one of us has their own unique struggle where Luann is trying to study for the bar and do distance learning with her children. I don't have that struggle because I don't have children, but um, I've certainly made sacrifices in, in different ways. Um, I'm part of an organization called Diploma Privilege for Connecticut, where I've been spending a lot of my time that I would have other when otherwise been spending studying, trying to um, get the state to move towards a fairer solution rather than a remote mm -hmm. exam. So. What I've kind of learned from speaking to my friends and colleagues from law school is that we all have our, our own unique experience, but it's sort of this shared stress of prepping for the bar, living during a global pandemic, dealing with financial struggles um, and the like. So we're going to be hearing in just a little bit, uh, Daniel, more about what some of the other solutions uh, could be for uh, making people uh, take the Connecticut bar exam later this year. But in terms of the test moving online, I mean, that's a good thing, right? You don't want to see uh, an uh, event where the people are taking this test in person and that event becomes a super spreader in this pandemic. But what are some concerns about it being online? Certainly. So we are very thankful um, for the Connecticut Bar Examining Committee moving away from an in-person exam once it really became clear that it wasn't going to be safe to put 500 applicants and test takers in a convention center together with all sorts of egress and ingress problems as well as um, close quarters. So we thank them for moving away from that and certainly a remote option is a safer um, option in terms of health. But remote exams have their own 
concerns and you know they range from technological concerns to administrative concerns for the Connecticut Bar Examining Committee if something goes wrong and equity concerns and privacy concerns but I think my concern and the concern of uh, many applicants to the Connecticut Bar is really that technological side of it where you know that's both on the personal user side but also on the software interface side, in the last several weeks, we have yet to see an online exam administered successfully, whether it was the advanced placement exams for high school mm -hmm. students, where 10,000 students failed the exam due to glitches in software, which prevented them from submitting their answers, or whether it was the online exam for the Board of Surgery, which had such a catastrophic meltdown the day of the exam that the exam was canceled that morning because they couldn't even get it up and running. Or the Law School Admissions Council, which announced this week that they had lost the scores of a number of students who had taken the LSAT exam and now we're going to have to retake that mm. that pretty grueling exam or whether it was three states from Michigan, Indiana and Nevada that either tried to test their software or actually administer the bar exam online with complete utter failure and absolute chaos. Mm. For example, Michigan on July 28th attempted to administer the bar exam online and applicants and test takers were sort of locked out of, of, of modules and passwords were posted online to try to get um, people into those modules. There was a cyber attack and that was only when 800 users were, were testing simultaneously. Connecticut is going to be using the same software as Michigan, ExamSoft, on the October 5th and 6th exam. And we're going to be taking it simultaneously with a number of other states. And while Michigan failed with just 800 simultaneous users, Connecticut will be taking that exam with upwards of 20 to 25,000 users. Mm. And so we can't have a guarantee that mm. this is going to work. And frankly, going with a remote exam is really betting against all the evidence of the last several weeks. There's not been a single exam that's gone smoothly. Mm -hmm. We heard from Vinay on Twitter who wrote, uh, he wants to hear how the bar exam committee is going to make sure that minor technical glitches won't disqualify the applicants for um, no fault of theirs. So what does that mean? So if you're taking the test uh, this fall, uh, Daniel, and because of bandwidth issues, something happens with your laptop, your computer, with the way the test is set up, does that mean you're immediately disqualified? Yeah, and, and frankly, the, the test is just in a few short weeks, and we really haven't mm. gotten an answer for that. But what's concerning is that the other states that have released sort of these restrictions and and solutions for these, they're pretty restrictive, and they, they don't really give us any confidence. But like you said, if someone has a bandwidth issue and um, they're not able to submit their answers or they don't have enough hard drive space on their computer to um, record audio and, and uh, visual proctoring services, which are required to be stored on the hard drive, who do we contact? What do we do? And these were questions that were raised at the last Connecticut Bar Examining Committee meeting and so far have not been answered. What do we do if, if at the time that it's, you know, I need to submit my answers, my computer crashes? Mm -hmm. How do I prove that? You know, is there, if, if I get cited for cheating and I fail, is there going to be an appeal process? So there's hundreds of students sort of in the dark at the moment about how we're going to actually administer this exam, given that there's almost a there's almost a 100% possibility that something will go wrong for all of us, and if not, at least some of us. So we need those answers. Um, but we certainly think that other solutions are more equitable and more um, secure.
You're hearing Daniel Bird again. He's a 2020 Yukon Law graduate. He's going to stay with us as we continue to talk about the Connecticut bar exam. Again, it's been postponed for later this year because of the pandemic. I want to thank Luann Cooley for joining us to tell us a little bit about how she's been preparing. Luann, thank you for your perspective. And whenever you take the bar exam, uh, we hope that it goes well for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to hear from the chair of the Connecticut Bar Examining Committee. And if you're a recent grad or an applicant who's looking to take the bar exam this year, we want to hear from you as well. 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Later this morning, the Connecticut Bar Examining Committee will meet to hear more testimony from law school graduates and others about the bar exam, now scheduled to be online in the fall. For more, joining us now by phone is Judge Andrew Guinness. She's retired from the Connecticut Appellate Court, and she's chair of the Connecticut Bar Examining Committee. Judge Dren Guinness, uh, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having us uh Lucy and uh, we are we've been involved as a committee uh in uh assessing many of these questions and uh listening to the concerns of the applicants uh who some of whom had applied for the July exam mm-hmm. prior to the necessity of uh canceling it and moving the date and then uh moving to an online uh bar exam so tell me, um, when you hear from Luann and also Daniel, among others, as you've mentioned, uh, obviously moving it online is a good thing in a pandemic because you don't want people all sitting in a room and causing a super spreader event. But at the same time, these issues related to uh, whether people have uh, good access to Internet at their home, uh, what happens if there is a glitch and the fact that so many of these uh, graduates spend a lot of money to prepare for this test judge? Well, you know, and those are issues that we have uh, discussed at length for months uh, as it as it happens, because this is a problem that has been uh, obvious to us in, in terms of uh, addressing the test and the pandemic. As you know, the uh, test is a requirement under the rules of the uh, Superior Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what kind of a test to uh, really have uh, is something the regulations control, but the judges of the Superior Court have uh, uh, forever insisted upon a a bar exam. So we have been looking at this, um, all of these uh, matters. We went to uh, a laptop administration of the bar exam because so many Colleges and universities and law schools now do most testing uh, online uh, for their normal coursework. Uh, Most students have uh, laptops, use them. Uh, We have uh, almost universal use of laptops uh, by test takers for the bar for quite some time now. Um, So our our concern was... uh, really that there would be limited amounts of people who would need 
to have some kind of assistance uh, with respect to the technology, at least the hardware necessary to take the test. Um, in that regard, I would think that the law schools might be somewhat helpful to those students um, who had a deficit in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, the process of using the technology is something that we've looked at and considered quite uh, a bit when we were making the, a decision to try to do this uh, exam in person. But it is true that the Department of Public Health, who we consulted about this, uh, agreed that we probably could keep the 500 uh, applicants. We limited uh, mm-hmm. the uh, in-person exam to 500 because within the Connecticut Convention Center, we could have appropriate spacing. But the real problem was getting people in and out of the exam in a timely way such that it did not unduly prejudice people. And it was in, in that uh, instance, the, the logistics of that created an impediment that we thought was insurmountable. Mm-hmm. So the um, decision to go to the remote exam, and it, it's an exam that uh, is given over two days, but it is one half the material that is given on the regular exam. Uh, and the problems that have been uh, associated with the technology uh, much of that has not been with ExamSoft, who is the vendor uh, for our online um, bar exam and for our laptop usage when we have an in-person exam. Um, the longest any applicant was delayed in Michigan was 35 minutes or 37 minutes, I guess. And those people were able, everyone was able to upload their answers, and it was a successful test. Um, I think that ExamSoft uh, is clearly looking at uh, the difficulty of getting some applicants their passwords. Uh, And so I think that we will, um, we have some uh, security in the belief that because they identified this problem and may have identified problems of other software vendors, that by October 5th and 6th, uh, we may have uh, a good handle on that. Uh, Judge, uh, I wanted to ask uh, Daniel Bird uh, to respond to what you've been talking about in terms of making accommodations and and hopefully a fix for these uh, technical problems uh, that other states saw with this bar exam. Uh, Daniel, what's your response? Um, thank you. And thank you, Judge Drankinis. I want to thank you for being here and for your work on the Connecticut Bar Examiner Committee. I certainly don't envy the position that you are in. Um, with regard to Michigan, um, I would characterize um, that test differently. I wouldn't characterize a test as successful when ExamSoft claimed that they had a cyber attack um, that you know caused problems for 800 people where the exam that we're going to take with 25,000 students is certainly going to be um, more riches for someone looking to do um, cyber crime and attack people's personal privacy and informational data. So that doesn't give me a lot of confidence. In terms of um, the hardware issue, um, Judge Jaren Guinness stated that you know most students have or most applicants have laptops, um, but even if most students have laptops, not all of us have the specifications required to 
successfully complete the exam. And those with more RAM, for example, ExamSoft states that they recommend you have eight gigabytes of RAM. Um, I wouldn't argue that most applicants have eight gigabytes of RAM. They may have two or four, meaning their computers will run slower. They may themselves have glitches. They may not have the same wireless speed. So what we're saying is that although many students may be able to successfully complete the exam, it's not a level playing field. And when the bar exam should be testing competency, variables like internet strength and computer specifications, access to a quiet room over the course of two days, child care availability, um, will allow some applicants to gain an unfair advantage over others. And therefore, you're not really testing knowledge of property law and knowledge of evidence. You're testing internet speed and um, you know family status. And, and we don't think that in balancing all of those factors, it's worth moving to a remote exam, given the technology concerns and the equity concerns. Dan, I wanted to bring in a caller. Uh, Jessica is calling in, who also is a recent graduate. Jessica, what's been your experience uh, studying for the bar? And now that it's online, how will that impact you? Yeah, so studying for me has been really difficult. Um, I graduated from Econ 2020. Um, but I don't have access to adequate study and exam space. I live in a three-bedroom apartment with thin walls and no air conditioning. Regularly, my apartment surpasses 90 degrees Fahrenheit, so I've had to stop studying for entire days because I felt faint. Um, so that's been just absolutely horrible. My neighbors also slam their heavy back door every day multiple times beginning at 6 in the morning, so it's hard for me to sleep. And I don't have anywhere else I can go. Um, and also the promise of a remote exam as the answer to the bar during COVID presumes examinees' ability to control the uncontrollable. So just a few days ago, I abruptly lost power around 8.30 uh, a.m., 9 for an hour, and I didn't have any notice until I was blocked in my driveway by Eversource trucks that were doing work. And if that happened on test day, I would have been out of luck. Um, and it's just been, it's been so hard to focus also just within the global context of the pandemic. I've had family members that have been sick and, it's just been incredibly hard to focus on an uh, exam that determines my entire life in, mm. in this context. And I'm, I'm scared all the time. Well, thank you, Jessica, for calling in and, to and let I us know Lucy, your experience. Go ahead, Judge. Yeah, I think it's important that we uh, understand the, uh, the balancing act we've really tried to do, understanding that those are real-life problems for people. But the the bar examining committee and the judges of the superior court are also charged with the responsibility of um, ensuring to the public that the people who have the uh, uh, the benefits and the power of uh, the statutory powers that are given to attorneys to commence litigation, to call people to deposition, to subpoena people, uh, that, that those that those folks have minimal competence. Um, our pass rate's been about 75% um, over the last couple of administrations. And we have to balance the needs of, of the public uh, to trust lawyers. Um, and that is not to say that people who are not able to pass the bar exam the first time uh, don't make great lawyers or you know, and offer uh, a lot to the profession. Uh, I, I think the test uh, is there to ensure the public 
that there is a certain minimal quality to one's ability to uh, learn, to recall, to retain information at a minimal level to uh, be able to pass the bar exam uh, so as to uh, really uh, have people trust the profession. So it's while we have heard all of these concerns and have struggled with the uh, the really mighty uh, number the number of adversities that this class um, has had, um, we thought that having the online exam was a a balance of having the exam allowing the public to be able to trust uh, the attorneys who are admitted to the bar and also uh, understand that there is flexibility within the process uh, of maintaining that distinction that these students already have by virtue of their education. Mm -hmm. Um, Judge Duranginis, thank you for explaining that. I just can't help but think that, you know, the, when you think about law school graduates studying hard and graduating from law school, and no matter what the profession is, oftentimes, you know, you become better when you have practice. And so I'm wondering, are there other solutions to uh, measuring a, a new attorney's competence other than taking this bar exam, which people say, some people say it's really a hazing ritual and it doesn't measure. It's not really relevant to the work that they'll be doing. How do you respond to that, Judge? Well, I think that everybody who's a member of the bar who has gone through the experience uh, remembers it uh, normally with dread and uh, they're happy to have gotten through it. I uh, High-stakes exams are required in many uh, professions, in uh, medical, in the medical profession, in the in, uh, uh, certified public accountants. There are tests uh, in the financial industry, and and that is so that the public has an indication that someone not only took their education seriously, but they were able in a somewhat stressful situation to be able to articulate the concepts and the understanding of their particular field in a way that allowed them to get this credential. So it is in many ways a, a high stakes test, but it is for, uh, to demonstrate to the public uh, basic competence, mm-hmm. and to have a, the credential, in addition to the JD, the credential of being a member of the bar, it, it is that last step that has that has been perceived to be necessary. And I am not suggesting that there is not a discussion that could be had, uh, and perhaps this is the beginning of a discussion of whether or not there's another way to do that mm. other than a uh, high stakes exam. Uh, getting back to the fact that we're in a pandemic, uh, Daniel Bird, who's with us, a recent law school graduate, you're also organizer of diploma privilege for Connecticut. So, Dan, can you briefly tell us what this means and how it would impact uh, graduates this year? Yes. Yeah, so the basic definition of diploma privilege is 
giving graduates, law school graduates, license to practice law based on their graduation. My, uh, the group that I'm with, Diploma Privilege for Connecticut, has actually submitted a proposal to the Connecticut Bar Examining Committee for Diploma Privilege, which actually adds um, restrictions so that um, the concerns with regard to competence um, and and nominating qualified candidates to the bar are sort of addressed. And so our proposal says that in order to get diploma privilege, you would need to graduate from an ABA accredited law school. You would need to pass the character and fitness as well as the ethics portions of the application process. But also applicants would need to complete 12 continuing legal education requirements by the end of the year, which is something that's normally waived the year that you apply to the bar, as well as we've recommended that it be restricted to first time test takers. First time test takers by far have a much higher passage rate. So when Judge Stranginis cites 75% as the passage rate over the last few cycle cycles, that includes those who are taking the bar exam for a second or third or fourth time, which ranges from pass rates from anywhere from 10 to 25%. So dragging down the overall average. Um, and so if you limit it to first time test takers, you really are getting a great group of, of qualified individuals. So we've Dan, tailored uh, our proposal. Dan, uh, the judge has to get to this meeting. So I want to make sure that she responds uh, again to this this alternative, this diploma privilege. I understand three law school deans in our state have written in favor of diploma privilege for 2020 graduates. Uh, judge, uh, what is your reaction? Will your committee be the one that determines this? No, the judges of the Superior Court have a rule that requires us to conduct an examination. Uh, and it may have been that uh, uh, clearly um, we address the diploma privilege only because I received uh, a copy of a petition that was directed to the executive and legislative branches of government, which do not control the admission of attorneys. Uh, but we addressed it anyway. Because it's because we have a commitment to hearing the uh, concerns about the bar exam that recent law students uh, have, particularly in light of the pandemic. So we extended that. It's but um, I think that we can recommend to the judges of the superior court, but we do not have the power to change the rule. So, Judge, in terms of that process, after you hear from more uh, people at this upcoming meeting, when would you expect whether or not your committee would issue a recommendation one way or the other? Well, we um, voted the last time to have the exam be remote. Mm-hmm. Um, I The consensus of the Bar Examining Committee was n- not to recommend diploma privilege. Um, we were uh, followed suit in that regard by the state of New York. Um, we have worked since uh, that vote on the 23rd of July um, to be reciprocal with the District of Columbia, Kentucky, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, uh, Ohio, and Tennessee. There are only four states that have uh, gone with the diploma privilege in response to the pandemic, and that is uh, states of Washington, Oregon, Utah, and Louisiana. So the uh, states in in our region uh, have taken the position uh, of 
using the remote exam uh, in lieu of any suggestion of a diploma privilege. Well, Judge, I know you have this meeting coming up, so I want to thank Judge Andrew Guinness, who's retired from the Connecticut Appellate Court. She's chair of the Connecticut Bar Examining Committee. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Uh, Dan Bird, I, I want you to, to stick around. We want to take another call related to this idea of diploma privilege. Sergio is calling from West Haven. Sergio, go ahead. Hi. I, I am of the belief that if a, if a privilege is granted, it should be to to all test takers. The the arguments that the 2020 class makes apply to all test takers in terms of the in terms of the pan, pandemic and technology. I mean, in fact, the diploma privilege group used previous test takers to to help their cause, and then and then wrote us out out of the of the of the proposal. Mm. Well, Sergio, let me ask uh, Daniel Bird to respond uh, to the point that you raised. Daniel, why only um, will this be applicable to 2020 graduates if it's allowed? So I just want to be clear. We haven't limited it to 2020 graduates. What we've recommended is that people, it only it be restricted to those who would have been sitting for the uniform bar exam for the first time. So if you graduated in 2017, but you haven't sat for a bar exam, then you would be eligible for diploma privilege in Connecticut. The bar examining committee's main concern seems to be competency. You heard mm -hmm. Judge Dranginis bring that up um, repeatedly, and, and rightfully so, although I will mention that competency is not mentioned in the practice book anywhere near the bar exam. The only place competency is really mentioned with regard to the practice of law is in the rules of professional conduct for after someone is admitted to the bar. But Besides that point, like I said before, first-time test takers have a far higher bar passage rate versus second and third-time passage rates at about 20%. So we felt that the Bar Examining Committee already had concerns about competency, admitting people who would have otherwise failed the bar, that asking them to admit people who have already failed the bar would likely destroy our entire cause for those who need diploma privilege um, who have recently graduated. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's not only for 2020 grads. It's it's just for those who would have been sitting for the bar for the first time this year. And we should uh, stress again before we head to break, uh, Dan, that other states have been doing this for a while, not related to the pandemic. I believe Wisconsin and there's a model in, in New Hampshire. And this past year, uh, Utah, Washington State and Oregon, uh, when they we're dealing with thinking about the pandemic have allowed this diploma privilege model to, to go forth. Correct. And, and those four states made an early decision and that was the right decision. The other states that Judge Drankin has cited still have the option to move towards 
a, a diploma privilege. And most of those states made their decision to move to an online exam prior to Michigan, Indiana, and Nevada having catastrophic technical failures in their tests. Um, and, and so the Connecticut um, Bar Examining Committee made their decision to move remote before those catastrophic failures as well. So we, we think it would be appropriate for them, although they made the decision just last week, to respond to basically the weight of the evidence of the bar exams that have been attempted to been administered, uh, administered, as well as the AP exam, the Board of Surgery, the LSAT exam, respond appropriately to that evidence and say, this really is a risk we shouldn't take. I want to thank uh, Daniel Bird again uh, for uh, explaining to us why uh, some, including himself, are, are hoping that diploma privilege, diploma privilege rather, will be an option for them. Uh, Daniel, for listeners who want to learn more, where can they go online? They can go to dip- diplomaprivilegect.org. We also have a Twitter account and a Instagram account linked to that website as well. So if you want to join us, please do. We're looking for support for practitioners and non-practitioners alike. So thank you, Lucy. I really appreciate you having me on. Again, you can join our conversation as well on Where We Live. Just find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Coming up, we're going to talk with an attorney about, again, this debate about the bar exam and what happens uh, this year. And you can join us, too. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. With all the talk on whether schools will reopen in the fall, on Monday we'll speak with Jeff Leake, the president of Connecticut's largest teachers union. We'll also hear from a researcher who's helping school districts figure out how to make remote instruction more equitable. That's on Monday. Now, today we've been talking about the bar exam. Is it a good indicator who will be a good attorney? Joining us now uh, by Zoom is Ryan McKean, partner and trial attorney at Connecticut trial firm LLC. Ryan, uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Lucy. So you work as a trial lawyer here in the state. You've taken the bar exam. What do you think about this request for diploma privilege this year? I I think what Judge Shenzhen has said, which is that this can hopefully be the beginning of a discussion about what it means to practice law, how we train lawyers, and how we protect the public, is is a very good thing. Because I don't think that the current bar exam does that very well. The current bar exam is largely a memorization exam. And it's also an exam, Lucy, that 90% of test takers eventually pass. So you're keeping out 10% of people um, at, 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 a, at a tremendous cost. I think Utah's model, um, I think is is really a, a, a great model where they require 360 hours of apprenticeship. Mm. They require uh, the MPRE and the law schools have to meet certain requirements. To me, I think that that helps actually train lawyers because it might surprise the public, but the bar exam doesn't really test Connecticut law and it doesn't have a whole lot of practical application. Yes, it's an exercise in being able to memorize, analyze, and do work under pressure, but it doesn't tell you like how to take a deposition or how to appear in court or how to do a real estate closing. Mm. I was 
thinking about how the bar exam came to be and my understanding this test at one time uh, was really about keeping minorities and immigrants out of this legal profession when you when you fast forward to today when we know uh, that minority students uh, are uh, is disproportionately kept out of the, pro- the profession anyway what is your take on that Absolutely. I mean, this is this is a, I mean, this is a major issue. And, 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 and lawyers are 3.6 times more likely than the general public to suffer from rates of depression. Um, and that's the American Psychological uh, Association. And, and sort of here's why. I mean, three years of law school is very rigorous. Um, the amount of debt, the average law school tuition, Lucy, is $49,500. So that is a significant amount of debt. Entry-level law jobs do not pay very well. They don't pay very well at all, if graduates can even get them. And now what you have in this situation is 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 people who are, even if you're just delaying the bar exam and you're taking it online, well, maybe you're delaying somebody from earning an income for six months. Um, and when you're wealthy or you come from a lot of money, you're, you're, you're more able to absorb that cost. Um, and when you're middle class or when you don't come from money or when you are um, a, a person of color, it, it's, it's going to be uh, so much more magnified, that pressure. And so we really should look at the impacts and the disparate impacts that the bar exam has on women and persons of color um, and persons um, who may not come from lots of money. Uh, Katerina's uh, been holding from West Hartford. Katerina, go ahead. You're on the show. Hi there. Thank you for having me on. I am a UConn Law 2020 grad, and I really appreciate uh, the counselor talking about the inapplicability of the bar exam. And it's especially true for students who are trying to get into public interest jobs. I myself have went to law school and had dreamed about joining the Air Force into their JAG Corps. One of the requirements is that I'm admitted to a state bar. And the difficulty with the three postponements of the Connecticut bar and potential further issues and technological issues that might disrupt my test score or my testing ability is that I don't get to start my commission Mm -hmm. as a JAG officer in the Air Force. So when we're talking about the importance of the bar, which is to protect the public, we're also talking about the importance of the livelihoods of students that are just constantly being delayed and the lack of empathy, I guess you'd say, from from what we've heard about why the bar should be administered without thinking pragmatically about the circumstances that COVID-19 and the delay in bar exams has had on students, especially people who wanted to pursue public interest and are now forcing are forced to choose a different life than the one that they prepared for. I would also like to just speak really briefly about the practice requirements that are required out of students to graduate from law school. You have to take internships. You have to take some practical based experience learning classes. UConn is amazing in that it offers a variety of clinics, and I took two. So I've already had practice in preparing affidavits, appearing in court, writing briefs and stuff like that. A lot that just before graduating law school. So mm-hmm. I have been trained, but the bar exam doesn't give me an application to provide that to somebody mm-hmm. to show that, hey, I can be a lawyer because I actually have experience. Instead, it's a multiple choice quiz with four options. And I have 
an hour to go through mm. 30 questions, which is just not enough time to show you I know what I'm doing. Well, Katerina, thank you for sharing uh, your experience and your and those great points that you raised. Uh, Ryan, we just have a couple of minutes. Uh, final thoughts on what you would like to see uh, moving forward. Again, it sounds like this online exam is the way that uh, the Connecticut Bar Examining Committee is going to go uh, later this year. Yeah, I, I, I would I, I would like to see diploma privilege for the class of 2020. I think that that is the, 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 the best option. And I think it would be useful if the if the committee was really focusing on how to do that and how can we focus on those dual ends of really assuring competency to the public and preparing law students for the practice of law. Um, I think that the difficulties that Dan had mentioned are, are very real. Um, and I think that the 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 stress of it for for what it is that we're we're getting and what it is that we're doing and uh, you know a number of lawyers I've talked to are just like well they don't this doesn't this is not really applicable to the practice of law this and and, and again it, it might surprise people but you're not really you're tested on things that aren't even the law um, you're mm-hmm. tested on common law where Connecticut's got statutes and so even when I was in, uh, a young lawyer it's like I had to unlearn things that I learned for the bar exam uh, to serve my clients. Um, so I, I, I would hope that we move towards a, a, a better way and we really use this as uh, the class of 2020 as a way to, to look at, can we do this differently or should we do this differently? Or is this the absolute best one size fits all solution uh, to, to assuring the public that they are having competent lawyers? Ryan McKean again is partner and trial attorney at Connecticut trial firm, LLC. Ryan, thank you. Thank you, Lucy. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Carmen Baskoff is on the phones. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Learn more about the show. Just download Where We Live on your favorite podcast app. Have a great weekend.